Welcome to Clippings, the official podcast of the Council for Nail Disorders, where Drs. April Schachtel and Catherine Stiff take a closer look at articles and clippings published on all things nail disease. Listeners can suggest articles for this podcast or topics of discussion by sending an email to kristen.cnd at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of the Clippings Podcast, where we review nail papers and share them with you. I'm April Schachtel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Catherine Stiff. Hey, April, and hello, listeners. My article today is called Effects of Oral Minoxidil on Nails, a Cross-Sectional Analysis. The authors are Walid Alsahi, Betty Wynn, Brian Morrison, Iran Gwillem, and Antonella Tosti, and it's in the February 2023 issue of the International Journal of Dermatology. I want to shout out to Dr. Jasmine Rana, who suggested this article for review. For those of you who have not been caught up on the oral minoxidil craze of the last few years, the background is that oral minoxidil is a medication that was first introduced in the 1970s initially as a treatment for severe hypertension because it has vasodilatory effects. In recent years, it is being increasingly used to treat alopecia of many types, so it would make sense that we are starting to learn more about it and the other effects that it has. There have been two prior papers reporting that topical minoxidil can increase the rate of nail growth, and this is the first study that looks at the effects of oral minoxidil on nails. The authors administered a questionnaire to their patients at the University of Miami who were taking low-dose oral minoxidil in a range of 0.25 to 5 milligrams per day, and they were taking that for alopecia. 74 patients were invited to participate, and 100% of those agreed to complete the questionnaire, and 90% returned the completed survey, which is a good response rate. Patients were excluded if they returned an incomplete questionnaire or if they reported that they were taking another medication that could affect their nails or had had a change in occupation, a change in grooming habits, or a change in dietary pattern. Two of the patients had a history of toenail onychomycosis, but otherwise these were patients with reportedly healthy nails who were being seen again for their alopecia. 53% of the patients reported that their nails grew more quickly after starting oral minoxidil. 38% reported that their nails were stronger, and 36% reported that their nails looked nicer. The median dose of minoxidil for patients who noticed nail improvements was greater than the patients who didn't notice nail improvements, but this was not statistically significant. The study has several limitations, largely being an observational study with a small sample size and potential for reporting bias. However, it's an exciting first study in this direction. I find it quite feasible to believe that through vasodilation properties, oral minoxidil or topical could lead to an increased blood supply and therefore faster nail growth. This has been supported by this observational data, as well as by two previous studies that reported a faster nail growth rate with topical minoxidil. In one of those studies, 32 patients used minoxidil 5% twice per day and had an average nail growth rate of 4.3 millimeters a month compared to a group who did not use topical minoxidil and had a 
nail growth rate of 3.9 millimeters per month. Topical and oral minoxidil may both represent interesting treatment options for a variety of nail disorders in the future. I could see these being used anywhere from brittle nails to potentially yellow nail syndrome and perhaps even inflammatory conditions like psoriasis or lichen planus. All right. Yes, I am glad these authors pointed out this like potential beneficial effect. And I think studying nail growth is not easy, but hopefully future investigations on oral minoxidil will also monitor nail growth. Good idea. All right, Catherine, tell us what you read about. Okay, today I will discuss ingrown toenails or onychocryptosis. I chose the article, Using Dental Floss, Pick an Alternative Packing Material for Ingrown Toenails, a Video Demonstration by Drs. Sun, Lon, Sai, and Lin. He published ahead of print in the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology in April 2023. Now you'll have to go online to watch the video, which is not yet published. I think it will be released once the article is fully released in in print. Uh, But today I'll describe these pearls and also provide an overview of the etiology and treatment of ingrown nails as discussed in Dr. Haneke's article, Controversies in the Treatment of Ingrown Nails, published in Dermatology Research and Practice in 2012. Now, the most common form of ingrown nails is distal lateral ingrowing. The lateral nail groove pierces the epidermis as the nail grows forward, causing a foreign body reaction with inflammation, granulation tissue, bacterial colonization, and eventually infection. Precipitating factors include improper trimming of the nail, a bulbous toe or hypertrophy of the nail bed, increased pressure from pointed shoes, congenital or traumatic nail deformities, certain medications, and bunion deformity. Patients should be counseled to trim their nails with a square cut and avoid V-cuts, round cuts, or extremely short cutting of nails. Surgical treatment methods include partial nail avulsion with or without chemical matrixectomy, total nail avulsion, lateral matrix horn excision, reduction and removal of the lateral nail fold, newer CO2 laser to the matrix has been used, and correction of foot deformities such as a bunionectomy. Prior to surgery, you should check pedal pulses to ensure they have adequate blood supply. In patients with peripheral vascular disease, you may not want to use lidocaine with epinephrine. And in cases presenting with significant paronychia, consider x-ray to rule out underlying osteomyelitis. Today, I'll dive further into a couple of the conservative treatment options for patients presenting with mild ingrown nails. These include topical urea under occlusion, gutter splinting, taping, bracing, and packing. Now, these methods require patient education as the patient needs to repeat the procedure at home. With packing, traditionally, a wisp of cotton is inserted between the corner of the nail and the nail fold with increasing amounts of cotton inserted each day. This procedure provides immediate pain relief for the patient. However, the authors mention that cotton fibers can be difficult to manipulate. They instead recommend using a small piece of an alcohol pad or a non-woven fabric, like a a non-woven gauze. The 
material is placed at the edge of the nail and pushed under using a zigzag pattern. And to lift the nail, the authors use dental floss with a straight pick. After the packing is in place, patients can blow dry it after they shower and drop a few drops of antibiotic solution onto the material. This method will require less frequent changing as it is lodged firmly under the nail plate. And it can be replaced uh, weekly. And I thought this was a great pearl. I'm looking forward to trying it with my next patient who wants conservative treatment for their ingrown nail. I like this idea a lot because with something common like ingrown nails, it's so important that whatever treatment you do, it has to be with materials that are easily accessible to you or the patient. So the idea of using this alcohol pad is like, that's so easy to have in clinic. It's easy to hand a bunch to the patient. It's easy for the patient to get more at their local drugstore. So I really like that idea and I'm looking forward to seeing the video. All right, Catherine, thank you for joining me on this episode of Clippings. I want to thank our listeners for their attention. To our listeners, please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees. Let us know how we are doing and which articles you'd like us to review on the show by contacting kristen.cnd at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter at Nail Disorders. <laughs>